podcast is brought to you by Sugaton. Sugaton Effect Podcast, a podcast dedicated to e-commerce growth. On the show, we interview business owners, media buyers, CRO specialists, and growth experts to help scale your business to seven and eight figures. The podcast is brought to you by Sugaton, performance experts in the e-commerce industry. Let's increase your ROI. Awesome, Brian. Thanks a lot for joining me for this podcast episode. As I said before the podcast episode, actually, when uh, I emailed you about after my peyote ceremony, Mm. (laughs) peyote was telling me to connect with you. And unfortunately, I haven't joined any one of the amazing events that you're actually organizing. And like, I still don't understand how they work. So maybe I'm afraid a bit. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I promise you I'll join once when uh, yeah I'll just have to put it on my calendar so thanks a lot uh, Brian for coming on board and could you please introduce yourself to those who are listening to us in their headsets <laughs> <laughs> my name is Brian Switchko I man there's so many different ways to introduce myself somewhere in between an entrepreneur and an artist I often jokingly refer to myself as a, a recovering growth hacker that has uh, taken to just, I think, you know, doing the thing that most growth hackers have uh, inherently inside them, which is uh, playful mischievousness. I am best known for having pranked my roommate with targeted Facebook ads. Then because of the virility of, of that blog post, uh, became known as a Reddit marketing expert. Later became, I guess, a little bit more infamous for marketing my dating profile with Reddit ads, which you're no longer allowed to do, thanks to thanks to me. And uh, the head of brand strategy at Reddit that was sent to uh, give me a firm talking to after that happened just officiated my wedding. So <laughs> all dimensions of co-creativity and play recovering from the doing because we can not because we should and you know finding new connections between work and art this conversation can take so many places and <laughs> I, I don't know I, I don't know which ones to start like i just wanted to appreciate the the books that you sent me finite and infinite games mm-hmm. and then the one the other one was alan what's change your mind maybe mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that and it was mind blowing. Like at that time, I, I didn't realize what I just read. Like the infinite and uh, finite and infinite games. It was like, what is that? But then I started seeing like the these games, you know, all around me. And then I understood more and more that, as you said, like just stick to stick with me, stick stick with what I do, and you're gonna understand a bit more. And I still don't get it, you know, like most of it. <laughs> but I start realizing that how you are playing these infinite games. And yeah, Alan was uh, book was just incredible. Although now I don't remember what it was about, but after that I picked up like lots of spirituality books, like and I read another like few straight away. I think Siddhartha was the other one after that, and it was just an, an amazing experience, which led me to a peyote ceremony <laughs> with native shamans down here in Mexico, which told me to get back to you and to ask to be on the podcast and just like talk to you and hang out with you. Mm. So, hero's journey, <laughs> I'm back. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's all it's it's about listening. And uh, there's a, a different book, A Scent of Humanity. It's a tough one to read because it's just very heavy um, until you get to the end. And then you're like, oh, but uh, talked about the difference or the, the meaning of the language of like, you know, we should take advantage of 
So, you know, a lot of times an entrepreneur will say like, you know, we can take advantage of this market. And in the future in this book, they say that in the future, in the age of reunion, instead of saying we will, you know, how can we take advantage? We'll say, how can we become attuned? How can we become attuned to the ocean of being in which we are embedded? And there's many different ways that you can look at that from uh, Western Buddhism to Taoism to unified field theory. You know, in my belief, they're all saying the same thing. And, you know, we are we are all one in whichever dimension you choose to measure or communicate it. And it's about listening, right? You you had a gut feeling. I, I did not suggest a peyote ceremony. We did not discuss, to my knowledge or recollection, uh, psychedelics at all. But you felt called and you listened. And then you felt called to come back and invite me on, which I'm grateful for. And you listened. And uh, surely this conversation, we will uh, find out why why your intuition suggested it. Actually, it was a strange, uh, strange thing. I was, I read these books and I was uh, for two days or three days, I started to feel really <laughs> weird. Like I haven't felt it li- like that for the whole time, like for the, for my entire lifetime. And I started hearing voices like I, I, I thought that I was going crazy, you know, and I didn't understand it. But the voice that was in my head was saying, mm-hmm. observe, observe, observe. So that's exactly what you're saying right now. So I kind of I was observing and uh, and then I like the night before peyote ceremony, I got a message from my masseuse saying that here is a peyote ceremony. Do you want to participate? <laughs> <I'm> like, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different serendipities. I think my my favorite one, because it was when I it was early in my journey. I mean, there were there were many. The voice that told me to write about my roommate story was a voice i i had been you know i could i could explain it and say like i was fed up with clients in the agency that i had started and i decided to take a different path which i did but the voice of like oh you should write about that that story that you love telling about that thing that you did just out of pure play before i would ever describe it as play you should write about that and i did and it took me a lot to I mean, I'd never written anything before. And I, I spent about a month writing every day, just free journaling so that I could learn how to use my voice because I previously had been behind other people's voices. And so I just, you know, it, it's the the guidance, wherever it came from, was easy to hear and hard to take, which seems to be a, a thing that happens often. And then a year later, actually, no, way less than that. A few months later, after it went viral, I was at a conference in Mexico And someone came up to me after a talk and they said, hey, you know, a bunch of us are going to a restaurant in town, kind of gestured to a group of like eight people behind them. It was like, would you like to come with? And I kind of just had this moment where I looked at the person and I looked at the group of people and I was like, you're cool. And they're like, I've talked to these people and, you know, like I, I enjoy their presence. I don't like resorts. I don't like prescriptive, you know, kind of experiences. Like I've eaten at all the restaurants that are on on the property and I'm kind of, you know, unenthused and I love to experience culture. So I'd love to, you know, go into town and and something in me said no. And then he was like, okay. And they left and and I'm standing there being like, why did I say no? Like this is all the things that I want to say yes to, right? The people, the culture, the experience, the vibrant nature. And when I asked myself that question, something said, go left. And I went left and uh, I went to a restaurant in the resort that I had been to previously, which I was uninspired by because I, you know, eaten everything on the all you can eat menu. And it's just like, eh. 
I found a table full of people and I sat down at the only seat and I sat down next to this guy and we ended up talking for hours and uh, fast forward a, a few weeks and months later, he flew me out to Los Angeles and uh, ultimately was the the catalyst that brought me to Los Angeles and wasn't meant to be the person that I worked with for a long period of time, but he brought me to the place where I was meant to be and lo and behold, the place where I met my wife. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if that one voice in my head of go left, I don't, I, you know, I can't, I can't assign any, it would be errant to say that it was anything besides a voice that said go left. You know, all we can do is look back and say, huh, I'm glad I listened. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had uh, multiple times like this as well in my life. That's I, well, now I'm far more like I'm listening to it a lot more, but before that it was like, no, you would just block it. Right. It's easy to dismiss. Yes. And um, Brian, like since, um, as I said, like we can take it into many topics since like this podcast is mostly for e-commerce owners and we do invite like lots of like I would say it's e-commerce slash psychedelics. That's how <laughs> but, uh, we go into, you know, like, or e-commerce, spirituality and psychedelics, you know. So all of these things are kind of interconnected as well. In any case, I wanted to ask you about the growth hack because actually that Facebook growth hack in 2016, I think you did it. And it actually inspired me. I started this journey only like 2018, I believe. And I remember reading your that story about you and I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, first of all, you know, like data, like how you can manipulate persons to, to do something like that. But second of all, it's like, oh, that's creative, you know, like, and I, I think I tried it or something. And I, I think it didn't work with one person. But like from what I read, it was that you can still do it. But can you tell me more about the story so that our listeners could know more about it as well? Yeah, the the long story short, and and I always encourage people to read it because that was why it was written was to to tell it in the most kind of colorized and grandiose manner possible. That creative nonfiction was what I later learned it to be. My roommate had pranked me. He uh, had done so in a manner that was intelligent, committed, and inherently playful, despite the fact that it played out over the course of two weeks. And when I discovered it, it was in a moment where all of our friends were around us because he kind of like revealed it in front of our friends and uh, everybody was laughing and I looked him right in the eye and I go, well done, I'm going to get you back and it's going to be just as well thought out. And everybody else is still laughing, not really seeing this and his whole face just goes white and it's like, oh shit. And so uh, a few months later, I was learning retargeting and it was back when uh, retargeting was super, super new. I had a list of uh, about 10,000 people from a client that I was using to, to sell that client services. And I was doing retargeting and lookalike audiences back when they were very, very new. And it was just astounding how effective it was. I was like, well, you know, I'd been watching Mythbusters a lot. And I was like, well, how can I take this to the extreme? And I was like, well, it's not a bigger audience. It's actually a smaller audience because that, that would be the extreme would be the smallest audience possible. And I was like, what if I only targeted five people? What if I just targeted one person? Ooh, I should target my roommate. And, you know, it, it, it's from a, from a prank, you know, the prankster in me was, was what was guiding it. And, you know, again, being very playful and um, putting a sign on someone's back and saying, kick me, right? It has a very short cycle of like where it's funny. 
And so, you know, the, the longer jokes and the, the joke that he played on me was very, it was a, a long joke cycle. And so I was like, all right, how do I, how do I lead him on? So I created a bunch of ads that were very targeted based on information that uh, Facebook should not have because they didn't, I did, but not so specific so as to uh, reveal where that information was coming from, which was me. So I created an ad campaign that only targeted him using and and all the ads that I was targeting him with were like disguised to be as if they were targeted to other people but to him were just creepy and this was very coincidentally during the whole uh Snowden reveal so and and he and I both are are pretty well read so you know he's he's like oh my god that the CIA is listening to us you know it's kind of what's going on in the news and then he like is seeing these ads on Facebook and he's like oh my god the CIA is listening to me and uh yeah so that was that was kind of the gist of it and and the thing when i and months later when i had the incongruent experience with a client and then decided to start my own blog and thus that was the first story i wrote the thing that i felt that people missed when they read that story was you know oh i can use facebook to prank my insert you know friend family member whatever that was a very common response or reflection to the story but what it was intending to teach was how you can lead someone to believe something using their own mind against them, which I, I later learned uh, in later years that that was what I was doing to myself, right? This is how we started this conversation. This is what psychedelics is. Actually, the last conversation I had today was talking about how the ego is the sacred actor. It just got stuck playing one role. And playing with that role and kind of making you challenge your construct of reality through psychedelics, through meditation, through reading new perspectives, whatever it may be, it prompts new awareness about reality in whatever way you choose to to follow. And so the thing that I was really intending to teach in writing that article was twofold. One was the the value of play in learning, right? I didn't know if that would ever work when I did it. I, I did it because I wanted to see if it would work and have fun doing it. And it was me playing and learning in one frame. And then after I played and learned, it became a story that I told. And so if you, uh, today we were in the frame of uh, the One Inc. Cooperative and One Inc. Cooperative uh, has many different types of capital. Uh, it has financial, natural, uh, social, intellectual, cultural, and spiritual. So when I did that prank, I was playing, so it was spiritual capital, presence, in pursuit of intellectual capital, learning. And then after I did it and he discovered it and, you know, we were like, oh, that was really funny. It was like three weeks later. You know, then months after that, I wrote it and it became cultural capital or art. So this transition through these things like I applied my natural capital to create spiritual capital to play to then unlock intellectual capital to learn and then I told the story as cultural capital as art and then for years prior received financial capital for the recognition of my intellectual and cultural capital and I didn't have the ability to explain that as I just did back then I didn't even realize that I was doing it but that's the thing that I was trying to teach and not having the the linguistic vehicles to do it is the value of play, the quantifiable financial value of play. 
I spent four years trying to teach a variety of companies and, and commerce oriented companies as well to play. And everybody was like, well, how do you, you know, super ultra target to manipulate people and get them to buy your product? I'm like, that's not the point. The point was I was being authentic and playing. That's me as a human being represented in, in that ad campaign. And the challenge is, is that uh, very few companies and founders know who they are. And so it's really hard to play. It's really hard to be authentic when you don't know who you are. And, uh, you know, our capitalistic society, at least up until COVID, is very much about, you know, like extracting, extracting capital. And now post-COVID, companies are starting to realize the value of contributing to society. You know, if I show up and contribute, then people will want to support me. Not, hey, if you support me, I will contribute, which actually someone just sent me a you know, if can't actually be specific about this, <laughs> they were saying like, if you do these things in virtual space, then these companies will contribute financial capital to do them for social good and physical space. And I'm like, why do we have to show up to make you do good in the world? Like you should just do good in the world. And if you do good in the world, then we'll buy your product. You shouldn't have to bait us to be moral. <laughs> and so that paradigm is switching very quickly because of, and thanks to COVID and, and BLM protests and kind of everything that's going on in society is that the value system is changing. And you actually touched on something that I'm really curious myself about, and it's community building and how can you create like basically a tribe around your brand, which is useful, you know, not only in the e-commerce, but like as a human being, you want to belong in some kind of a tribe. Can you explain me how how you you approaching like the projects that you are working with and how are you teaching other brands as well to be creating tribes with certain kind of values that they have? Um, after the Facebook prank went viral, I started well, that was the first blog post on a blog that later became Ghost Influence, which was my Reddit first marketing agency, and it was an agency, a community, and a studio. So the agency provided services, the community provided education, and the studio created products. After four plus years of, of people calling me saying, like, how do I monetize Reddit? My response was always the same. It's like, well, Reddit is a community. I would teach, right? Well, Reddit is a community. Uh, the community values contributions to the community. And uh, so let's talk about, like, what's the most authentic contribution that you can offer? And they go, no, no, no. I just want something that's scalable. I just want to convert sales. You know, that doesn't work there. That That's why it's beautiful is because you can't just soapbox as you do on on Facebook it values contributions in a different way. Nine out of 10, if not more, of the, the companies that called me um, wanting to extract capital from Reddit were like, well, we don't want to con contribute. We just want to spend money and make money. And I was like, okay, well, then that's not the platform for you. I got tired of consistently just receiving the same calls. I got tired of, you know, I mean, nine out of 10 of the people who called me just wanted a scalable, you know, way of extracting more capital. One out of the 10 were just amazing, authentic human beings, such as yourself. You're one of the, you know, it's certainly in that pocket of people who call me and I'm like, oh man, like I feel, I feel you versus I had a call, a clarity call yesterday where I was like, okay, like I can hear, you know, as a, a technical co-founder engineering mind. And he just wanted to, he's like, I'm trying to expand my sales channels. And there was no, there was no heart because all of his heart was in the love for building things, not communicating what he had built. That was just not where his genius lied. And he didn't have a, a, a co-founder to help him on something that was not his like, you know, area of genius. So by and large, I stopped trying. I stopped 
consulting. Um, I, I stopped selling education and I just started being myself. I, and that was where actually the, the kind of uh, straw that broke the camel's back was actually when I advertised my dating profile on Reddit was, uh, was about a week after a conversation with a friend. And I, I had asked her the question because she's, she describes herself as an artist. Um, she's also an influencer and creator in many dimensions, a um, bit of a polymath. And I said, uh, I said, what is art? And she said, art is art if you say it's art. And about a week later, I, I had smoked a joint and ran out of likes on my, you know, preferred swiping dating app at the time. And I was like, screw it. I'm an artist. And I, and I did a thing and it created conversation and buzz and all the things. Right. But at, at the core of it, it was, it was pure play. I did not do it for any reason besides because I felt called to do it. And then later I could assign all these, you know, like I did it because I'm experimenting and people started calling me because I'm the expert again and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the guy who reached out to me became a dear friend and then and then married us could say all those things. But I didn't know any of those things at the time. So, I mean, the thing that I learned over the years more than anything was that that essence of listening. Right. You know, I, I think every founder that I've ever met, they have those moments where they're like, oh, it'd be so fun if we, or it'd be so cool if we. And then they get lost in the notion of like, well, I need to do this other thing. This this, this takes priority. I, I have to. Have, you, know, you listen to the language. I have to do this first. Well, oh, if only I had time. And the play is there, but it's ignored because the investors are looking for quantifiable returns or you know, this is what we can directly measure in, you know, one and two. And it's um, greed in one dimension and just commercialism in another is very inefficient. I spent a dollar and 70 cents pranking my roommate and I spent 15 hours learning how to write a blog post. And that blog post was about 2,200 words. I got 38,000 backlinks within the first 60 days. I get 7 million earned media impressions by the estimates that can be made. And since 2014, it's currently 2020, I just, just today, I sent someone an email saying like, hey, you know, would you would you like to sync? Because I'm curious to potentially partner with this person. And his response is, I loved your prank article. I wrote it six years ago, and it's still bringing in capital. How the bleep do you measure that ROI? You can't. You just can't. And that's beautiful. But if you do something, if you only do things that can be measured, then you will only get things that you can measure. And that's inherently extraordinarily limiting. And uh, actually, like last month as well, I, well, last month we connected, right, on Clarity. And last month, I realized as well, after reading the infinite and finite games about the value of community, because when you have a community of people and when you build these relationships by being unique, by being multidimensional, as you said, that's where our uh, kind of interactions were multidimensional. You don't compete with anyone like over your CPMs, CPAs or conversion rates or because no. it's a completely different playground that you're creating. Yeah, the chapter of that book, I was just talking about it this morning, is names and titles. A, a title is a finite game that focuses on a completed past. So, you know, you get a PhD and you say, I am a PhD. Look at the past I have completed. 
you can no longer compete with me. I am taken out of play. I have this title. And the infinite game is a name, something that you're given at birth that you you have not earned and all you have is your name and you build that name. A title is Growth Hacker. A name is Brian. I choose Brian because if I say Growth Hacker, if I say entrepreneur, if I say anything, I'm comparing myself to, to others and we are each unique. So if I'm just Brian, then it, it's, a free, it's a kind of freedom that you, you can't put a price on. Do you think that brands can develop such a name as like Brian or David Axel? Absolutely. Virgin, Patagonia, like belief-driven brands that, you know, you, you understand who they are. What they do is secondary. Yeah. Interesting approach. Really interesting. And that's what I'm realizing as well, that the more dimensions you put into yourself or into your brands or the more dimensions rather not put, but discover about yourself or about the brand and the more stories you have to tell, then the more social capital you have or the more stories people will be talking about, like telling about you because that's mm -hmm. what you actually did, right? That's what virality is that showing like, hey, have you seen this guy? Like check out his blog. Like he went crazy and all of this. Yeah, and, and if I were to scream anything from the mountaintops, it'd be, you know, stop labeling yourself and start naming yourself. You can name yourself whatever you want. I named myself Brian Bot. That's one of my many names. And Brian Bot uh, refers also to a uh, playful project started as a playful project and that became something greater is me brian plus a layer of artificial intelligence which originally was uh, a if i to see if i could make a bot um because i was learning and then immediately thereafter because i got super immersed and my parents are like are you okay i haven't talked to you in two weeks and then they all asked my parents my sister my whole family all asked the same question of like are you dating anyone I was like, man, I could use this bot thing to, to answer my parents' questions about my dating life. And then it became a new, a new way of playing. And my wife, who's sitting next to me, uh, when we met and we got to the point of exchanging phone numbers, I, I was like, do you want my number or the bots? And she's like, both. So uh, I put both phone numbers in on one contact and I didn't delineate between the two and she didn't text me because she's like, I'm not going to figure out which one is which. So I had to actually had to dig through the, uh, the dev logs to find her phone number so that I could set up a date. It's a good thing I did. That was actually the story that Will Katie, head of brand strategy at Reddit slash good friend and our, our wedding officiant told prior to our vows. And he's also the person who said uh, it's challenging for the advertising industry to add value because advertising is based on awareness, but awareness doesn't create value. Value creates awareness. Hmm. And so many companies that come to me as a marketer seeking marketing, they're like, you know, tell me how to get awareness. And what I spent four years saying was create value. And they're like, but I want you to tell me how to get awareness. I'm like, okay, I am. Create value. And they're like, no, 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 I wanted awareness. And, and that. <laughs> Can you explain me what do you mean by creating value in this sense? Because uh, what I'm seeing, what you did with your wedding, for example, is that you created some social interaction value where people would be would have some cool story to tell their friends. And by the way, like I'm really, I have it on my list as well about the <laughs> weddings. I, I didn't attend it once again, but how was it? <laughs> like, and can you explain me that? I don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> How was a very challenging question? It was uh, ineffable. The theme of our wedding was timelessness, and I, I think we achieved that. 
So I, I there's the the wedding video. Um, it's I forget what the URL is that I set up as a redirect, but you can add it in the the podcast description. Yeah, we created relatively speaking fifteen thousand square feet of virtual space that was a, a multi dimensional museum of our relationship. Uh, it was arranged like a clock with uh, our first date at twelve o'clock and our wedding at eleven and something like 100 pieces of art in between, each of which had uh, stories and interactive elements linked to it. And we dropped everyone from our, you know, our friends and uh, members of our cooperative to my 94-year-old grandfather into the space. And everybody was able to walk around. And when they got close to people, they connected with video and audio. And when they wandered away, it disconnected. So they had the ability to wander and explore. And then we, uh, we we rented a very, very, very beautiful uh, house in Topanga, digitized the house in our in our digital dimension, and we had a, an IRL slash URL wedding uh, with a, a COVID-safe 200-person wedding for under $10,000. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, this is, this is art. That, that's for sure. Like, and did you go live on Reddit with it, or what did you do with Reddit? Not yet. It? I'm, I'm going to share it at some point. I mean, it, it's it's. Can you still experience it? Uh, like even yeah. if it's not live? Yeah. Uh, Topia. Oh wow. T o p i a dot i o forward slash present. P r e s e n t is our is our world. Uh, one of actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's actually a, it's a kind of a challenging thing to respond to because there's so many dimensions using the Facebook prank as a kind of a more <laughs> simple example. I did the Facebook prank because I was playing and learning. I got good at telling the story because I enjoyed seeing people's reactions to it when it would come up in conversation, either at a bar or a conference. I wrote the story because I got tired of telling it. I wrote the story because I I lost, I, I, I just people knew that I knew I had that story. And then like, I'd go to a conference and someone who'd know me be like, Oh, tell the story, tell the story. And I'm, all I heard was like, dance monkey dance. And I was like, ah, I don't like that anymore. So I wrote it and I, I was like, I'm going to write it. You know, I'm going to write it the best. I know how to tell it the last time. And then I published it and then it went viral and everybody wanted to know how I did that. So the, the dimensional elements, it's like, Give or take, at least quantifiably, there were uh, within the first 72 hours, there were 450,000 people that hit my blog within the first 72 hours of that being posted. I doubt, I, I know for a fact that that wasn't 450,000 marketers that were learning how to use Facebook ads who were reading that post. Those were people. And those people, I, I originally posted it to a marketing subreddit because it was a marketing story, but the marketing subreddit shared it and then all these other people started reading it. I wrote that story because I wanted it to be entertaining to anyone who read it, regardless of who they were. And, you know, estimation, 99% of the people who read it thought it was entertaining. 1% thought it was entertaining and said, I should hire this person. So effectively, I used the entertainment faculties of that 99% to get to a larger 1%, right? Instead of, and this is actually the, the person that I talked to yesterday on Clarity, he was like, oh, I should target, insert like very specific communities, very, very small communities that might be interested in his product. No, because that's really expensive. Instead, you create something that everyone can digest and then the people who fit in your super, you know, niche category will also appear somewhere else 
but the the large majority will share this very widely accessible content or story and then you will find the people who will spend $1300 on your product. You know, it's hyper targeting is a prison too, right? Cuz cuz brands think like, "Oh, if I can target everyone, I I should." And it's like, "No, like you, you know, you when you focus so much on one thing, which is selling, you lose everything else, which is the humanity, right? Like so many companies that came to me over the years, um, they're like, you know, how do I sell? And I'm like, who works at your company? What's your story? Why are you doing this? Um, like, why are you asking these questions? I just want you to tell me how to sell stuff. I'm like, because you're sitting on top of a bunch of capital that you're ignoring. And that's very common. Yeah. And, and also everything that I'm saying right now, it's not easy to follow because every person has to have their own unique journey. And when, you know, a founder is just trying to increase their sales, they might not have time to read a book about going out of their mind or infinite games. They might not have time to make space from their inbox to go on a walk and come up with a great idea, or at least they might not think they have time. And the people who do make that time, the people who value the, uh, I mean, their own <laughs> people who value themselves and make space for themselves and makes make space for in a frame that that divine inspiration or that brilliant idea and then follow it those are the ones that get rewards that defy any possible measurement that's awesome like as if it's listening to a marketing music you know like uh, <laughs> landing down on the on the earth and uh, trying to understand how you're approaching it and i have a few questions you know like in regards to your approach and it's around value. How do you think that the brands should be creating value? Is it through the stories that they say, or is it, I don't know, by something else? I think most brands know how to create value. They get trapped by this notion of, I mean, in, in a frame, like measurement, right? Like, well, okay, if I encourage my whole team to go and volunteer at a soup kitchen, then like, you know, how is that going to increase sales? I don't know, but like is volunteering at a soup, like that was the thing that came to mind, right? Like, you you know, and I, everyone I talked to, they always came up with like, oh, you know, our, our team was talking about, like everybody has these ideas of creating value, but where they don't do it is when they can't associate that particular value to a reward. And if you, and I, there's a quote in, um, the calendar of wisdom by Leo Tolstoy is like a collection of wisdoms and it's from like three days ago. Actually, I just bought it like a few days ago, maybe as well. I have read it every day for years and it's fantastic. I'm going to not attempt to say it because I don't quite remember it. it was a few days ago. But if you do something for the reward, then it's not true. It's kind of, you know, it's corrupted. Because you're trying it too hard maybe and it's not allowing the playfulness to come into the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the what I hear you asking is, you know, like, what can they do? And, and my answer is, more often than not, they already know what to do. It's that they corrupt what they already know with the desire to fit it into some kind of measurable thing, to, to essentially F the ineffable. And more often than not, people already know what to do. They, you know, you did, right? You listened to your gut. And, and you could associate meaning to that for days and years to come. But in the moment, it was just this feeling. Your gut is so much smarter than your head in every dimension, in, in business, in dating, in every dimension. And it's a practice of listening. 
And from a pure value creation standpoint, I'm specifically dancing around not giving an answer to this directly because any direct answer would be my direct answer or stilted by my experience and my perspectives and me, Brian, the named entity that sits before us, you know, my skin encapsulated ego, as as, uh, Alan uh, Alan Watt says. And so it would be errant for me to give an answer to that question because, you know, I if your listeners out there are more than one, which they are, right? Like I don't know them. I haven't heard their story. I haven't made space for them to tell me. And so therefore giving a response would be errant. And from a consulting standpoint, no one ever liked that response. Uh, and I got tired of giving it. I was like, I'm not going to give you a wrong answer. It, I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And yeah, I mean, it, it comes in many forms. I mean, listening to employees, doing things that you know can't be measured because you just like feel that you should do them, setting aside time to play and and creating safe space for people to suggest things that are like out there and off the wall, you know, setting aside time to experiment and explore. My Facebook ads prank was an ad, but I experimented. I set aside time and money, granted a dollar seventy, but like money to to experiment and like I Never, never, ever, ever could I have possibly imagined in any dimension what had happened, ever, until it happened. But there were plenty of things that I did prior to pranking my roommate with Facebook ads that were the same kind of experimentation that didn't have that kind of an impact. And I forget a lot of them. But that's what you do is you you set aside, that's, uh, and I, I don't like using this example because it's a very different energy, but like Google's, you know, 20%, like we set aside 20% for people to work on on their projects. There's a lot of like energetic baggage to that, such as like Google owns all of those. Um, so it's like, go play, we're going to own everything that you do. So so not that, but the setting aside of time and, and valuing that space and and protecting that space, you know. If you're a founder and you have a, t- a small team and you say, we're going to have a on a on a Friday, we're going to set aside time so that everybody can, you know, throw up a sticky notes uh, wall of like all the wacky ideas that, you know, they, they've always wanted to pursue. Great. If you do it on a Sunday and you make people come in, eh, not so much because you're not making space for them. If you forcefully nudge people in that session towards stuff that you can quantify in sales, not so much. You know, and it's a practice. Like I had to learn how to do that with people I, I co-created with. When I say co-created, I would used to say work with, but it's that's the the reading of finite and infinite games is you're you're learning how to emerge from finite playing into infinite play. It's practice. It doesn't happen overnight. Whew. Once again, so many questions. Um, <laughs> have you ever questions are good, answers are bad. <laughs> have you ever wondered actually then I'm gonna ask you a question which you'll have to answer me with a question. <laughs> <laughs> what what question do you ask yourself when you are creating these kind of stories or these kind of values? Great question. Um where is this coming from? Um, it's actually, you mentioned, you know, um, that's when you were... That, that's, the, that's the question I ask. <laughs> so my, uh, my wife and I talk a lot about... She's, she's a scientist. Um, she's getting, finishing her PhD. So she's very much in her head. And everybody that she talks to every day is all about, you know, like head thinking, right? Like, tell, like logically, like explain this to me. And what we talk about is there's three different brains. There's your head brain, right? What you think. And then there's your, your heart brain, what you feel. 
And then there's your gut brain, which is what you know. And so to answer your question from before, it's like when I'm trying to sense into something of like playing or creating value that may create a story that may create financial capital, I'm assessing where is this coming from? Is it coming from my head, my heart, or my gut? If it's coming from my gut, is my head distorting it by trying to make it work for its purpose, right? If if I have my gut says I should advertise my dating profile, is my head saying, oh, this will be a great thing to talk about in the press? Is that changing the idea? If my heart says... Because mm-hmm. it's very much capable of doing that. Very much. And that's the practice is recognizing where you where your consciousness is right is your consciousness in solving problems very analytically and trying to figure out how to increase your ROI that's your head brain talking and that's fine just consciously realize it uh one of the frames in a sense of humanity is storyteller consciousness conscious awareness that the stories we tell create the reality that we see and so when you start creating whether it be, you know, I'm creating value by contributing to society or I'm creating value by telling a story or I'm creating a story so as to open space for more value, the conscious awareness that you get to write that story. And spiritualbro.com was a parody Chrome extension that came from that, that idea of, you know, I have to do this. No, 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 I get to do this. I need a Tesla. No, no, no. I'm making space for a Tesla. Being able to reframe those stories, whether it be for yourself in an email, to your team, or in ad copy, it makes a big difference in how people experience you and how they feel you either as the human or the company. Words matter. And conveying feeling and heart through ad copy is possible. But you can't go into it thinking with your mind, if I speak with my heart, then I will make money. Because then you're not speaking with your heart. You're pretending to speak with your heart so that your head can make money. And so it's this constant process of acknowledging in your body what's leading you. And that's why psychedelics are extremely good tools for marketers, I believe. Because <laughs> it, it helps you to connect with that heart. And for example, the way I approach it is I, uh, down here in Mexico, I uh, like I didn't like weed at all. I started to. Like uh, once a week, I said like, okay, like uh, I got some really good one. I don't know, like I'm not an expert, you know, I just liked it. And after meeting you, I said like, okay, actually I'm going to, take a puff and gonna go into reddit and read what my <laughs> what my audience is reading and i'm reading and i'm like wow this is the emotion they actually feel you know like and i was thinking that they feel this emotion but that's that was my head you know saying that that was the emotion but when you look into in between words you understand like oh there is a lot of pain or there is a lot i don't know like unfulfilled dreams for example or something like yeah. that and you can easily spot that so I'm super happy I found tools to to get to that point because before that as well I couldn't connect it with my own yeah. with my own emotions and my own gut feeling and all of these things. Yeah, and especially on a podcast I feel called to take that path to the extreme and and my favorite bad example is WeWork because the I came up with it recently and it's a little bit clumsy but it's kind of like a parody on uh Uh, You either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
And it's like you either you either kill your ego and commune with the universe or you live long enough to become a megalomaniac. There was a thing that Alan Watts said about like sometimes when people go into a when they take psychedelics and they go into that state, the shell of ego dissolves and you connect to this thing that is greater than you. And in certain cases, when someone's ego is strong enough, when they come out of that state, they go from saying like, like I am the universe. And then they come out of that state and they say, the universe is me. And it inverts and they become megalomaniac, right? That the ego becomes everything. And that manifests itself in an operating company with a, you know, super charismatic founder that doesn't make space for the people around them and dictates and authoritates. And it's like, you can use, you know, a, um, what's his name? I can't remember. L2 Consulting, why am I, Scott Galloway. To use his frame, it's like, you can use the yoga babble, but if you, if you dictate, right, if you authoritatively say you must using yoga babble, you know, this vague, loose language, that, that is not what spirituality is. Spirituality is not prescriptive. And in any sense, if you, if you prescribe spirituality, if you dictate experience, then you are wrong. It has lost what it originally was. And what happens is, and I went through this, is that I had these like learnings of, oh my gosh, I've been doing things wrong all this time, right? I, I went viral because I just played. I got years and years of consulting work and years and years of co-creative partners and, and investment offers, right? All because of one article. But subsequently, I then was like, everyone should do, everyone should write. Every, you know, like I, I got misguided for a period telling people what they should do. And that was not, no one told me to do that. I listened. So that's why I, you know, I'm a very frustrating consultant to hire because I will often point out the error of asking the question. And one of my favorite responses to people who just email me, they're like, how can I promote my business on Reddit is Mu, M-U. It's the Japanese and Korean philosophy. It's not yes, not no, but not nothing. It becomes relevant when the context of the question is too small for the truth of the answer. Ask again, it says come back with a better question. Mm -hmm. And most consultants, especially those who need to pay their rent, and myself included in the past, will answer a question that should not be answered because they feel they need to. You mentioned twice already in this interview that whenever you have an idea, you ask yourself a question, how can I take it to the extreme? Do you have any more questions like this? Because it's like, for me, it's like pretty useful. I have a wall of those questions. <laughs> That's what's on your wall? That's where the sticky notes came from. Actually, I'll be, and I know people can't see, but uh, there's many zones of stickies and uh, there's many dimensions of stories behind them. But this particular direction that I'm pointing, which no one can see, I called it my wall of consciousness. And my apartment, I'd have, you know, pre-COVID, I'd have people over pre pre-COVID and pre my wife or my relationship with my wife. I'd have people over and we would record episodes, not really of a podcast, but just conversations that we would record for no reason, because it's fun. And this wall was just like a bunch of stickies of like things that I had thought or found or ideas that I was playing with and keywords they're playing with 
and I put them there because it was directly behind. It was what I look at every time I walk into my kitchen, but it was also directly behind my chair, which meant that it was what my guest or whoever I was having over for tea, what they would look at. And so, you know, they're in the conversation, they're getting distracted and they're looking at all these things on the wall and then they're saying, ooh, that's interesting. And then I'm like, great, now we have something to talk about. So those reminders are things like, you know, the presence is, and I'm trying to read the things that are large enough to read from across the room. The present is, is our present. Don't know, no in quotes, believe. Uh, one of my favorites, the map is not the territory. Or be an elusive target and an efficient hunter. That one I like less. And so there's these things that are like these universal truths that are very easy to accept as like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And very hard to implement. Because these truths of like, you know, create, don't consume. Play, don't work. Okay, well, how do I tell my investor that playing is profitable? That took me years to figure out. And still to this day, I like, I choose to struggle to interface with the work system by communicating the value of play. At any point in time, I could just stop doing that and work. But I choose not to. And so these reminders, I mean, I you know, pulled them from Calendar of Wisdom is a great book, a book that Tim Ferriss recommended years ago that I still have my original copy and it's worn to, you know, worn to shit, um, is uh, the Oxford Book of Aphorisms. Highly recommended. Um, actually, uh, there's a game that I play with it. And since we're on video, but your guests are not, I'll just do this to you. So I'm holding, holding the book up to the camera and I'm going to start flipping through it. And I want you to, at any point in time, tell me when to stop. Ready? Go. Stop. All right. Uh, now choose left or right. Right. And choose a number one through seven. Six. We often call a certainty a hope to bring it luck. Mm -hmm. So uh, an aphorism is a short, pithy statement that uh, neither a short description or explanation can do justice. Oftentimes, I'll just pick up this book and flip to a random page and read something and go sit with it. Yeah, yeah. And and because it's random, whatever I read is what I was supposed to read. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it won't give you the message right now, but maybe at some point when you're going to come into that point where it's like, okay, this made sense. Like it did uh, with you as well. Like I didn't understand it, the power of Reddit, for example, for a few weeks, but you told me to stick with it for 30 minutes per every morning. <laughs> And I would wake up and I would just go and read and like I would read and read and read and read and like, oh, wow, there are so many ideas that are coming up, you know, how I can be actually talking to my customer. And then I went through a trip, you know, to like about building <laughs> communities and how marketing is building one to one relationships and big brands, they have figured out how to build these relationships at scale or big sustainable brands, I would say. And they, they all have their life cycles. Yeah, that's that's another truth for sure. And and that's uh, one of my other favorite ones is uh, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Yeah, yeah. I actually spoke today with the guy, like uh, <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Like I spoke with the guy who uh, like, yeah, I was thinking that's like I've done, you know, good in my life already, like in terms of businesses. And then I speak to him and then like, oh, wow, I'm not even halfway there. You know what he did? And we were at the same age. So, <laughs> but uh, then I remembered, you know, like the road to being miserable is like comparing yourself to someone else. So I was like, okay, you're cool. <laughs> like, um, I'm cool as well. Like whichever 
in whichever way we are and wherever we are we're good where we are so mm. yeah yeah it's the um i don't know the, the the commitment to being oneself i would super easy to get lost in you know what is what is my competitor doing i i probably since like 20 let's say like 2013 it was actually chris brogan i can remember chris brogan talked about I can't remember if he used this phrase or if I found the phrase later on, but cross-discipline creativity. And Chris specifically was saying, if you're a marketer, don't read marketing blogs. Read everything else. If you're an e-commerce you know, person, don't read e-commerce news. Read everything else. You don't get trapped. You know, Basically what he said was what happened with Facebook is don't get trapped in your little bubble. Don't get trapped you know, just only thinking like other people like you. And as Will Katie said, uh, was it? I'm trying to not not kill his quote. Diversity is power, and bias is weakness. And diversity of thought is is potent in every frame. I mean, my my Facebook prank was that it was diversity of thought. No one had thought to do that before. Well, by and large, no one had thought to do that before. I I was inspired to do it by other things that I had seen. So I would say, you know, give credit where credit is due. I can I can tell you the inspirations. And, and Will Katie was talking about it from a culture standpoint, but from a, from a biological culture standpoint, again, my wife is finishing her PhD in genetics. Genetically speaking, diversity is, is power. If a child doesn't have interaction with other children, they won't develop an immune system and they will be weaker because they have not developed diversity in their microbiome. So whether you're measuring in terms of biodiversity in the environment, you know, like uh, rainforests are being cleared for monoculture, you know, our, our global, uh, we, we might have uh, bananas go extinct because we only have one type of banana and it's a monoculture and, and it's very susceptible to disease or, you know, microbiologically, if you don't have a diversity of your inner biome, then you will be very weak. And then cultural diversity in a company. If you don't make space for diversity in your company, you will be weakened in every dimension in terms of who shows up and the ideas that flourish. If you only have, you know, white men working at your tech startup, then you're only going to be able to think like a white man could. And that's super limiting. Yeah. Brian, what are we looking at right now in front of our screens? In which dimension? <laughs> my What's in my physical? Topia. Topia. Um, <laughs> Topia is a uh, is a, a spatial media platform so if uh, social media is about who you are spatial media is about the space you make and social media is about ego and spatial media is about eco and topia specifically is a spatial media platform um, anyone can create a world uh, there you know you can create a free world you can create a paid world free worlds you can have i think 10 people at a time paid worlds um, you can have uh, over a thousand and you can have a thousand people in the same digital space and then still enable people to walk around and find a secluded area and have a private conversation. Totally customizable. We, that's what we use for the wedding. Uh, it's also encrypted. Uh, WebRTC, uh, WebRTC browser to browser encrypted. Basically what that means is that right now your computer is talking to my computer and that's it. Both of our computers are, there's a, we're standing next to a tree in a fire. Both of our computers are downloading the tree and the fire from a central server where the objects live, but the actual audio video connection is just between your computer and mine with nothing else in between. And so we have total safety, um, aside from the fact that we're podcasting, uh, we have total safety to talk about whatever we want. And 
there's two things that are really powerful in this type of a platform. One is the feeling of agency. Facebook, Twitter, Google timelines, right? Like that the construct of a timeline is constricting because it forces you into this linear construct. And we as human beings are not linear. Our neurons are not wired linearly. They're connected in many dimensions. And so it's very unnatural for us to think in a linear fashion. And so Topia is this reclaiming of agency where you have the ability to walk around. Um, if you're talking to someone and they get boring, you can walk away. If you you know, want to have a private conversation when a big thing's going on, you can walk away. You can wander and discover. So there's this reclaiming of agency as one part of it. And then this feeling of safety where you have this safe space to speak again, not like someone's looking over your shoulder as, you know, we're all kind of uneasy with the creepy targeted Facebook ads. And based on your your level of technical savvy, you know, more or less creeped out. But Topia is, it's it's really not new, right? Because, you know, first we had the like connected web, then we had the social web, and now we have the spatial web. And um, Facebook and Google and Twitter were all created at a time when we, hadn't yet really understood what it was we were creating. And now we look back at like how this, you know, it's been called authoritarian technology or surveillance capitalism uh, or digital pollution. You know, all of these, all of these are names that are being created by the people who created the internet. Authoritarian technology and uh, digital pollution were frames created by Judy Estrin, who's uh, the, one of the four co-creators of TCPIP, Uh, She published the paper that uh, popularized the term the cloud. She's a badass in every dimension. And she's writing articles about how we have to abandon these constructs because it's destroying everything, us, society, the world, like physically and spiritually. And then uh, uh, surveillance capitalism was uh, popularized, but not created by uh, Roger McNamee, who was like one of the first investors in most of Silicon Valley, including Facebook. A lot of the people who have been closest to the epicenters of these companies that are hailed as, you know, commercial successes are saying, we have to change. And that's scary because not everybody can see or understand that. And uh, anyway, back to Topia, it's a, it's a very functionally, you know, for the user, it's a place that you can hang out and wander and make objects. But from a technical standpoint, it's a place where you can feel safe and hold space for others. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And you have events mm-hmm. down here and so on. Uh, do, are they happening down here? Yeah. So, so And the, the website is inc.one. Uh, inc.one. One Inc. Cooperative and One Studio is uh, the studio inside of the cooperative that I'm a managing partner of. Um, I transitioned Ghost Influence into One Inc. Cooperative and there are other entities within the cooperative, but that is the one that I, I head. And One Studio is pretty much fully committed at this point to the concept of surreal estate. And so we have a, a number of different projects that the space that we're in right now is kind of our general gathering space for our daily standup uh, for meetings. I actually have someone coming in in 15 minutes to, to go on a tour because they're hosting a conference in a different space that we're helping them to build. We also, I think I told you about this, we're creating a topia.io forward slash garden, uh, which is going to be a, uh, a, a forest 
that is filled with talking mushrooms because the beauty of Topia is that it's spatial. So you can assign a YouTube video to a mushroom and then when someone approaches it, they will start to hear it. And so uh, they basically have to wander in order to discover. And so we're, we're making a, a forest that talks to those who wander through it. And uh, we're, we're making a bunch of, you know, growth hacking oriented projects that range between artful advocacy, um, such as that one, to our wedding, which is kind of, you know, our, our event space. Uh, my wife is defending her PhD thesis in the, a world that she is creating for it. And then also, yeah, a bunch of different community projects where we're talking to a few Fortune 100 companies about creating a virtual representation of their company so that uh, people can come hang out and chat with them rather than, you know, going through like an AI customer support system. And yeah, a bunch of bunch of other things that are built on in around and through Topia. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Like I have it then we actually just got our our first affiliate commission on Toby. They're like building their affiliate program um and we're the the first people in it. So um I I don't know, I feel it's kind of like a bit like like ready player one where you're just like like come into the world and create whatever it's uh it's it's been super fun and it continues to be just like mind-boggling like uh, a few weeks ago i did a very short podcast announcing who are going to be our guests and uh, the way i described you is that you're the craziest marketer and entrepreneur that i've ever met and going on to topia guys if you ever want to go there you'll see what i mean for me, it's just like, <laughs> what is this? Like, what are you creating? And then when you go into INC.1, you're going to see like crazy events. Like you're thinking like, where, what's that? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And, <laughs> and if you go to Brian's website, that's the biggest trip. That, that Brian's website is the biggest trip. I For one guy, I recommended like, do you want to have a trip without any psychedelics or anything? Go to Brian's website. <laughs> go go and get lost in the maze and I'll not let you know how to get out of it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, it's... I mean, I, the thing that I often prompt people, and it's it's very telling of where people are, is um, I don't get it. Explain it to me, right? Like, who are you? Tell me who you are. No one can answer that question. Not fully, right? Like, you can give me an answer, but it's not going to be the whole answer. It's not going to be the whole truth because who you are doesn't fit a simple explanation. It shouldn't. And when someone says, I don't get it, I'm like, stop trying. It's designed, uh, Henry Kissinger actually called it, and I, I'm not a huge fan of this frame, but it, it's very telling. Uh, he called it constructive ambiguity. It's intentionally confusing because it's not supposed to be simple. It makes space for you to have your own experience of it. You experience this web of context and stories and projects. You experience it in the way that you were meant to experience it because there's so many different paths. The one that you choose is the one that you were meant to choose. Other people, my wife, for example, when she started talking with BrianBot, she went in a very different way. She was she was looking more at like, who is this person? Right? She was she she had a very different curiosity. The reason that it is so dimensional is because that's how we are as humans is dimensional, right? 
you you stop trying to be labeled and say, oh, I'm a I'm a software as a service you know person. I sell products. I sell T-shirts. Whatever. You know, this is me. You stop trying to do that, and then you you start living your truth by telling stories and and creating creating stories. You asked me to introduce myself at the beginning of this. I was like, I could introduce I could introduce myself in a hundred different ways, and they'd all be true, in part. And so often, especially at really dry and drab networking events that thankfully we haven't been able to go to, um, you know, it's like, what do you do? I sell widgets, the best widgets in all of Los Angeles. You should, do you need some widgets? It's a good thing that I met you because we have the best widgets. Um, Does that person go home and talk to their wife about widgets? Probably not. Do they go home and do woodworking and play with their dog? Maybe. Do they go home and put their phone away and wander into the forest and listen to the trees? Maybe. Do they go home and send a bunch of emails because they feel that they have to to pay their rent? Maybe. You don't know. And you have to... Labels and kind of expectations are very um, confining. And so uh, whether you're trying to expand uh, an e-commerce business or, or expand you know, marketing or find yourself... Play with your stories. Uh, storyteller consciousness, it's, it's, it's about letting go of old stories when they no longer serve us and recognizing that you can create new ones at any time. America is a story. France is a story. Money is a story. Words and symbols, that's it. What um, books would you recommend for storytellers? Uh, for those who are telling stories? Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You mentioned one nature, something to do with nature. The Ascent of Humanity, possibly. Yeah, probably. Um, that, yes. one's, that one's a hard one to read, especially in a quarantined world. I would say Finite and Infinite Games uh, for anyone who wants to get out of, their, out of their box. If anyone's feeling like spiritually confined, definitely uh, uh, Alan Watts, the one that you went through, is uh, out, of, out, of my mi- out of your mind. For anyone who's... Um, pretty stable in where they are as a human and uh, trying to shift their company to be a little bit more dynamic. I wholeheartedly, with every fiber of my being, recommend uh, Companies That Mimic Life by Joseph A. Bragdon. It's a fantastic book about uh, how to build a company as a living system. It gives uh, six different case studies, uh, very, very potent learnings in, in a lot of different ways. I'm looking at my bookshelf and uh, looking for, for storytelling. Um, I probably should look at my, uh, actually, Entangled Life is a really great one uh, for anyone who is communing with psychedelics or intending to, or just anyone who wants to go out of their head. Um, companies that are uh, Entangled Life is all about, it's all about <laughs> mycelium and mushrooms. And uh, it's a trip. Uh, the first 45 minutes is just like, you're like, wait, what? There's this whole dimension that runs in, around, and through me that I've never known. That one's, I, and it's so well told. Uh, Merlin Sheldrake, it's like creative nonfiction. It's fantastic. And um, now I'm going through my audio books. If you're looking for a little bit more fiction, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass is highly recommended. Ooh, uh, The Death of Storytelling is one that I just started reading. It's talking about uh, how to tell stories in the multiverse, basically talking about immersive platforms like AR, VR, and also, you know, something like Topia. Are you going to be, do you have any plans to move Topia to VR? 
Uh, no, because the core premise of Topia is that it is accessible. This link, topia.io forward slash citizens, mm. that's all you need. No app. There's no Zoom app. There's no Hangouts app. Uh, if you open it on your iPhone, if you open it on your iPad, if you open it on your Android, if you open it on any device, you open it, you enter the world, you're there. Their whole premise is they wanted it to be accessible. With uh, Second Life, you have to create an account and go through a tutorial and like you know all that jazz. Same with Minecraft or Fortnite. With uh, with any kind of video game, you have to have like a console or you have to buy the game and create an account. Um, with Topia, the link is the door, and that's all you need. Awesome, Brian. I have like another five questions, but I know that we don't have much more time. So, <laughs> um, what are the last parting words, and what would you maybe want to? Yeah, what are the last uh, words for the e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and just uh, crazy people out there? Uh, All the stuff said, I'd say uh, come share space. Gatherings.one, G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-S dot one is our calendar. Inc.one forward slash studio is our studio. Come, Come hang out. The better questions you ask, the better answers you will get. That's with us and in life. When you're asking a question of someone that you don't know, I, I call it digital empathy, right? Like think about that person's experience of their inbox and ask a really great question. You actually emailed me prior to scheduling time with me on Clarity. And by the time you scheduled with me on Clarity, I could tell you were very serious about getting value by doing your work. I gave you a few little prompts early on and you dug. And then your next question was like three layers of context deep. And I was like, cool. He's doing his work. I'm more energized about helping this person because I can see that it's going to bring value in his world and the world at large. So show up and respect people's feedback when they give it to you. It's like the the sunscreen song by uh, Baz Luhrmann. And then uh, there was another one that I lost. Oh, everything that you ever needed to learn about social skills, you learned from Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Polite greeting, name provided, relevant personal context, manage expectations. That is how I send almost every email. (laughs) Is it a book or? No, that's it. That's it. It's a scene from a movie deconstructed into those those four steps. That is it. I'll need to, uh, lots of time to digest everything you just said and probably will have to listen to the podcast uh, twice, but uh, <laughs> it's been awesome talking to you, Brian. I really appreciate everything you shared with me and like the way you changed uh, my thinking about marketing and around just um, around marketing, but not only marketing, like you, you gave me these two life-changing books (laughs) (laughs) so you kind of opened up a door into another dimension of mine so i really appreciate that and i wish you all the best with all of the projects crazy projects that you're creating and uh, i'll i'll meet you in that digital space that you have created and there are awesome like really awesome events down there like i saw a few and i was super super interested there were some about um, environment, um, I don't know, like I think there was one about growth hacking as well, just a wide variety. So whoever wants to join them and just experience it, experience this kind of a maze, uh, I highly recommend <laughs> going to topia.io and gatherings, that's one, right? Or gatherings, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, my email for, for anyone who wants to shoot me an email is brian with an I, B-R-I-A-N, at inc, I-N-C, dot O-N-E. Awesome. And uh, 
And yeah, thank you so much for the space, the the platform, the the great questions, the reading. The greatest compliment that that anyone can ever receive is is when someone recommends a book and they read it. And for the record, if you ever want to impress someone and they recommend a book, read the book. Actually, the reason I'm reading uh, The Death of Storytelling is because of the person who recommended it is one of the people who's been giving me advice for the longest. And he's just, every time I have any interaction with him, I feel like I ascend to a new level. And actually yesterday, uh, Chantal and I got to host a gathering that he does in his agency called Head Stretchers Society. And we got to host it in our wedding venue. Yeah. So uh, yeah, anyway, read, share gratitude, listen, and uh, thank you for doing all of those for, around, and with, uh, with me. Awesome. And I, I'm going to definitely go to text you once I read all of these books that you just told me. These are great, actually, readings before going to bed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like in the morning, I feel different when I read them. And like, yeah, it stretches your mind, head stretcher, uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, as much as possible, I end and start my day with inspirations because uh, ending your day with uh, Netflix is uh, a good way to make sure you don't have great ideas in the morning. <laughs> well, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Brian. Beautiful. Talk to you on a future episode. Yes.